Well, a few, a few years ago, I was living in upstate New York, and I um, wanted to meet with a friend to go on a fishing trip, and there's a spot in central Pennsylvania where we were meeting to, uh, yep, to, go, to go fishing and camping and such. And um, I don't know if y'all have ever spent any time in central Pennsylvania, but it is, it is the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, there's cities on that side and cities on that side, but in the middle, there's really not a lot. It's like trees and some hills and some rivers and trout and stuff. So he was from D.C., and we were meeting in the middle. And what we didn't know is that the town that we were meeting in didn't have any cell phone service. So we get to the town, or I get to the town, and, um, you know, I, I have no idea what to do. It's like 8 o'clock at night, and I, he's, I don't know where, we have no idea where each other are. And the only place that was open was this pretty seedy bar. So... I go to the bar, and um, it occurs to me very quickly that everyone in the bar knows that I am not from X town in Pennsylvania. Like, everybody turns around, and it is totally evident that I don't belong here. And it's not just, it was, it was not an accent thing. It was just they knew that I didn't belong to them. Um, and anyway, I, I met the friend. It was fine. He had the same idea. Um, don't know what that says about us, but we met there <laughs> at the bar. And I, I think that this is actually somewhat revealing for this feast day, the, the feast day, uh, the baptism of our Lord, because it shows us this story, and you'll see how this is so, that in order for Jesus to be really one of us, he has to be born here. He has to be from here. And in this feast day that celebrates God's own baptism, it is this sort of strange event because the whole idea of baptism, as you may know, is it's this ritual cleansing. It's, a, it's about a washing. And John talks about it. It's described in uh, Luke as a, as a baptism of repentance. But if you spend any time in the church, you know that Jesus is supposed to be perfect. So what is someone who is perfect doing being baptized with a baptism of repentance. Why does a perfect person need to be baptized? Well, I'll give you a clue. It's not for him. Baptism isn't for him. And you see, even though this whole gospel reading, everything seems to be about Jesus, there is the invitation to John to baptize him. John questions him and says, I no, no, I can't do it. And Jesus says, yes, you will. And then the actual baptism takes place and the heavens are torn open and the spirit descends and God's voice proclaims from on high, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And it is this incredible Trinitarian moment where the heart of God is sort of revealed for everyone to see, and it is majestic. And there are all kinds of ways we could take this, but there's only one thing that I want us to take away today. You see this event? It is certainly about Jesus, it is certainly about God the Father, and it is certainly about the Spirit, but it's also about you. It's also about you. Here's a way to think about it, and you'll see that this metaphor, I hesitated to use this metaphor, but you'll see where I'm going. Have you ever looked at the laws for presidential eligibility? I know there are some aspiring people in here. You've looked at these, I'm sure. There are three rules. There are three rules if you want to be president. You have to be at least 35. That's why I'm not president yet. I'm only 32. You have to have resided within the United States for 14 years. And here's the important one. You have to be a natural-born U.S. citizen. 
And the, the idea here was that uh, it was a way of preventing foreign interference. You see, the, the early founders of our country, they looked back to Europe and they saw the way that rulers of one nationality could take the throne in another country and sort of impose their own will on a, on a foreign country um, as a way of manipulating power. And so the law in the United States was designed just to curb that, to, um, to prevent that from happening. So you actually have to be born as a U.S. citizen in order to hold the uh, most powerful office in the country. Sorry, Martin, I don't know if you're up for president yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping to? Yeah, me too. Uh, so the logic of the incarnation is actually a little bit, just a little bit like that. If Jesus is sent to redeem humanity, he has to really, really be born a human. And he can't just transfer in. He can't just sort of assume the facade of a human being. He has to actually become human. He has to take on our flesh. See, if he wants to redeem all of humanity, he can't just superficially meddle with things. He can't cover things up. He has to become a real bona fide citizen of the world has to be born here. And part of what this means is that he also has to be baptized. It's not just about being born of the virgin, which he is, but it's also about undergoing Christian birth, which is being reborn in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we saw this also in the Isaiah reading. Did you catch that at the very beginning? There's this whole language that's totally counterintuitive to any sort of presidential power The plan is that the one who will redeem the world is not going to externally force or coerce things into being made right. He's not going to become president. He's not going to become a powerful military leader, and he's most certainly not going to be a dictator because that will not work. It will be superficial. The only way to do it is the gentle entry into our own human personhood. Totally counterintuitive. Isaiah says he won't raise his voice. He won't break a single twig. He won't even put out a fragile candle. He has to delicately enter into the human world carefully without interfering or disrupting what he's made. He has to be begotten, as the creed says, born of a woman, baptized, and able to die. Able to die. In short, Jesus has to assume what Adam was and what we are by becoming, in order to become what we are not, which is perfect. So if Jesus, uh, there's an old logic to this that the church fathers had. They said that whatever is not assumed cannot be redeemed. And the point is, if Jesus doesn't become it, then it can't be fixed. Jesus becomes fully us so that we can become fully him. And this is sort of reminiscent. Some of y'all might be poets, maybe not. But there's this incredible part of T.S. Eliot's four quartets where he says, the wounded surgeon plies the steel that questions the distempered part. Beneath the bleeding hands we feel the sharp compassion of the healer's art. Jesus is the wounded surgeon healing our hearts. But if you take this apostolic logic seriously, it's actually way more. It's more than that. It's not that just that Jesus is a surgeon. He is not external from us. He is both the surgeon and he is also uh, the patient. He is also the victim. He is the one who dies on our behalf. He's like you, and he's like me, and he's God. And that's why he's baptized, to be fully us. Y'all know this, but in just a little bit, uh, we're going to, Martin is going to baptize a little girl, Ruth. 
right after she's baptized, Martin will anoint her with oil. And then he'll announce that she is marked as Christ's own forever. And what this means is that she is marked by an inward and spiritual reality that cannot be taken away. It can't be taken away. And so when angels or demons or all the company of heaven or all who have the spiritual sense to see as Jesus does human hearts and their spirits and souls, they will see that she belongs to God's people. She belongs to this whole host of saints that's international and transtemporal. It's Catholic in a word. There are martyrs and scholars and poets and builders. There are aid workers and missionaries. There are heroes, sinners, ordinary people and extraordinary people all together united as they're washed in the blood of the lamb. She will be one of those people. She'll be one of them. She will belong to them. But even more than that, she will belong to Jesus. She'll belong to Jesus. And on the one hand, parents heed warning. This is a scary truth. It means that your children are not fully under your control. (laughs) You already knew that. (laughs) But what happens in the liturgy is that Martin will actually take Ruth away from her parents, baptize her, and then he will sort of parade her to you, the congregation. And the symbol is that this child now belongs to the kingdom of God and to Jesus. And so that's scary because it means that we are fundamentally out of control. We are at the hands of our maker. But it's also incredibly encouraging. It is an infinite comfort because you, you, and all parents can know that your child is baptized. We can know that Ruth is baptized. And we can know that whatever scenario she finds herself in, God the Father proclaims over her, mine. She is mine, and she belongs to me. Likewise, all of you who are baptized belong to Jesus as well. Because Jesus was born of human parents, baptized into the body that belongs to him, the church, and so we are his. We, along with Ruth and all of the baptized, belong to Jesus, and that's good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.